When are people going to see that nothing ain't never going to change unless somebody finally makes up his mind to stand up and fight? Damn. Netroots Radio presents Hopping Mad with Will McLeod and Arliss Bunny. Now, here's Will and Arliss. Hello, this is Arliss Bunny. Will and I are here at Netroots Nation in St. Louis, and we had a terrific, incredible interview with Lady Ashley of QT Puck STL and Capella Marissa of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group, and we're bringing that to you as a special edition, additional episode, kind of like a bonus episode, while we're here at Netroots. We really thought you'd love these two women were absolutely, I'm telling you, absolutely incredible. The interview they gave us was insightful and articulate, and we just, we learned a lot, and we think you will too, but there were audio problems, real serious audio problems. So what you'll hear next is Will actually introducing the interview, but I thought I should tell you up front that there are some things that completely drop out at the very beginning of the show, and there's just a hiss in the background that you can't get rid of the whole show. We apologize, but we ask you to tough it out because what these people have to say is so very, very important and we really, really wanted you to hear it and we didn't want to let something little like audio problems get in the way. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening here on Hopping Mad. Welcome to a very special interview with Hopping Mad. We are here with Capella Marissa of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group here in St. Louis. And we are excited to welcome her as well as the coordinator of of Cutie Puck, Lady Ashley. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're, we're excited to talk about LGBT issues, trans issues, the way those intersect with issues faced by people of color, especially trans and, and LGBT people of color. So I guess our first question is, would you tell us about the organization here in St. Louis? And people of color, um, we work um, with the city and different organizations to host racial bias training um, throughout the St. Louis area. And it's our job, we feel, in the city to uplift the voices of people who are not being heard. Specifically, folks around trans issues and issues facing trans people of color, of course, as well. Our main goals are to provide community advocacy, visibility, and education for and of the trans community. We call it our CAVE priority, C-A-V-E. We build community by hosting various social events. We do an art show once a year. Twice a year we do clothing drives for LGBT people who can't afford to buy their own clothes or who can't afford to dress the way they would like to or like say their families like won't allow them to present the way they are. It's a way for them to get free, easy clothing without having to go through their making unsupported parents. We advocate just basically fighting in ourselves. We provide visibility. We show that, yes, trans people are out there. We do exist. We are in your communities. We are just like you. We're not some big, scary boogeyman that you see on Fox News. We're just real people trying to live our lives. And we provide education, as Lady Ashley was saying. We provide trainings not only on racial competency, but also for trans sensitivity and trans awareness. Trainings for organizations, companies, even schools. Now we're branching out into high schools, Mm. like giving 
classes the high school teachers on how to address it, like when a trans student comes to them and says they says they want to use the bathroom that matches their gender identity, like how to navigate all the many, many, many pitfalls that go with something like that. Explain to us the, the importance of community and social events and, and the sense of isolation that a lot of folks end up feeling. Why is that an, an important thing for, for folks in the trans community to, to provide? Because, quite frankly, there really wouldn't be a space for that if we didn't provide St. Louis has a pretty big, what you would call, gay scene. There's a lot of gay bars, you know, lesbian dance clubs, but there's not really a lot of support there for trans people specifically. Yeah, most of, I think, the events that we see um, in St. Louis are particularly cis and white. Um, and basically, you would see, you see the L, the G, and the B, but no T. Um, and a lot of times there are um, erasures of people of color from these situations and instances. There's no space for them there. We see in our history, queer history especially, a lot of, of whitewashing. For example, when we think of Stonewall, we don't think of the trans women of color who were the tar- people being targeted by the NYPD, who were attacked, who ended up as the, the, one of the people who helped start the, the resistance that happened at Stonewall. Does that happen in, in the local community here in, in St. Louis especially? Is there, is there the same kind of whitewashing both of the community and the local history of queer activism? I feel in a way that there can be that erasure um, that we see here. Um, A lot of people, I think, when we look at our our annual Pride Parade that is strictly endorsed and funded by large companies, we forget that Pride did evolve from a riot, um, and it evolved from a riot of feelings from people of color. Um, So it's so easy to forget that and look over that when you're having a good time, but that also is a form of erasure, um, and that erases the struggles that people of color have experienced that are not just intersectional with pride and things that happen with pride and celebration of pride, but in their communities as well. With that activism, with the activism that you do, you have an alliance between your two groups, QDPOC and the Metro Trans Alliance. Explain to us how you work together and how you advocate for a change within the, in the LGBT community and the larger community here in St. Louis. Well, QTPOC STL was born out of Metro Trans Umbrella Group. It started out as a support group under Metro Trans Umbrella Group's umbrella, and it eventually grew into so much more. It's flourished and blossomed into its own organization that does its own thing, has its own leadership board. They still, they, we are a fiscal sponsor of them. They still exist under our so-called trans umbrella, but they are their own organization, and we are very, very happy to work in tandem with them and let them run their own affairs. And they um, definitely acknowledged QTPOC STL was born out of the feelings um, that a lot of people in our community had after the shooting of Mike Brown and Ferguson. Um, and we basically had to find a place to convene and talk about our feelings because as people of color, and especially pe- queer people of color, Um, in the movement and in the city, we had no place to go to do that. Um, And so we're very grateful that the Metro Trans Umbrella Group gave us a a space to house and talk about those feelings, um, which in the end grew into something so much more. Um, We find unity um, in the city and amongst our communities and the pain that we share and have. So it's very important to have that self-care and talk about those things. Um, And they gave us the space to do that, which we appreciate. That's really that's really fabulous. I mean, that kind of progression, I think, is really a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, something I, I just am curious about, and I genuinely have no idea what the answer to this is, but, every, you know, all of this press and all of this attention came to Ferguson after the shooting of Mike Brown, 
And is has it been hard to step out of the shadow of that in any way? Or are you using that as essentially propellant? Are you using that to... You know, I, I, using, that's a terrible word. I take that back. Um, but is that part of the impetus or or is it something that's is it difficult to shine a light on other priorities um i think as a city and as a community and the people of color we have grown because of that i wouldn't say that we're actually using it to kind of like prove a statement but i think that people have seen um through the movement for black lives here in st louis that we've kind of set a bar um for where we're going to be and what we're going to do and you see the small city in the midwest you really don't think Um, that we're going to move forward or that we have moved forward. But this has been the hub in the beginning for a lot of individual movements that have happened um, and that we have seen repeated throughout, um, actually, the United States as of right now. So I think, if anything, as a city, we've shown people that we grow and that we acknowledge that, and we will never forget what happened, but how much further we are able to go. And I think we're going to see a lot of St. Louis um, in the history, um, in the movement for black lives and also the movement um, for queer lives and queer people of color. Um, and trans women of color um, as we come in the future because of that. So it's, yeah, it's definitely that, been yeah. a, a stepping stone um, and a learning experience that came from pain and understanding. I think that the point you made about seeing a great deal about Ferguson in history, very true. I currently live in an extremely small town in Indiana, 2,500, population of 2,500. It's like my college. <laughs> yeah, tiny, tiny. And uh, one day the Cincinnati men's chorus, gay men's chorus, came and sang there as, you know, just part of their outreach. And I was in the back selling CDs, you know, C- uh, CMC uh, CDs. And my neighbors came up to me and made comments like, they're so normal. I had no idea. They seem so nice. In other words... These are people who genuinely do not know that they had ever seen in their lives someone who was gay, much less someone who was trans, but certainly had never seen someone who was gay that they could identify. Of course they had. They just didn't know, you know. But that outreach was kind of a remarkable thing when you see these very conservative elderly folks coming to this point white folks coming to this point of actually being able to say out loud huh they look so i don't i grew up in the san francisco bay area so i have no clue what they expected because that's not my background i don't actually come from that area but when you talk about reaching out in high schools and you talk about you know the work you're doing here in st louis i think that just like the lgbt movement made coming out was such a big part of starting to be successful politically. Stepping forward in the way that the queer and trans movements have been in this last couple of years has been a big deal. I think a really big deal. Have you seen sort of evolution among people who you didn't expect? I guess is this is a very long way of asking. Are you starting to see movement in places and quarters that are unexpected? Um, I think I think a, a large part of that is is communities and people in general are starting to hold each other accountable for their behaviors and actions. Um, we are in a time right now where things are not going to happen and people are just going to sit by and let it go. 
Um, there's a quote, and I may quote this wrong, in, in, in times of injustice, if you choose to be neutral, you're actually on the side of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are realizing that now to step up for communities that don't have a voice and maybe step up for communities that are more marginalized, we're going to have to speak up and hold each other accountable for our actions and what we're doing to change the world and our communities. So I think a lot of that is it. So we are seeing movement. Uh, for people who maybe didn't acknowledge these things also as well because they're starting to affect them on a personal basis. They're beginning to interact with people of, of, of different races and nationalities and, and gender identities. Um, and we're seeing in companies right now that there is a movement um, to kind of force this progression um, with gender identities and the way people identify um, and also with their ethnic, ethnic and racial backgrounds um, because we've learned that organically, right, um, organizations, if they, if they fail to move in advance um, with the movements we have and kind of like if they don't grow and change with time, that they eventually fail. And so I think that's what a lot of people are seeing, that if they don't adapt and if they don't adjust um, with things that are going on, that they're eventually going to fail and kind of like just disband. Um, and I think people are afraid of that and they know that they have to kind of understand and, and, and go along with the flow of that for, for success because otherwise ultimately organizations and people fail when they can't come together. One of the points in the keynote last night was that if you are a social justice organization and you do not have people of color on your board, you are not a social justice organization. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah. a no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you we you just can't, sat you and marinated. Can't, that. Yeah, you can't fight for social justice without acknowledging that there are injustices with people of color, and there have been since the founding of this country. Like, it's just not possible. It's intersectional. Yeah. It's intersectional. For a diverse nation now, you can't, with a straight face, say that you collect a big group of white people and say that this is representative of America. <laughs> We will be a majority-minority nation. I think, like, in 2040 was the last study I heard, there would be more non-whites than whites in America. It's like, you, so you, you, you can't hold an all-cis-white board up to the public and say, hey, look, we're diverse, and expect to get away with it anymore. And not only that, people are holding those who try to do that accountable for their action and saying, hey, you know, you may not have someone on your board right now that is a person of color, but it's your responsibility to hold space for that person if they were to come along because it's necessary for them to be there. So you have the ideas and the viewpoints on life that you didn't have before to make you succeed and help you move forward. It worries me. I was listening yesterday. I always listen to, I'm an economics wonk. So I always listen to like all the podcasts from the Financial Times and places like that. One of the podcasts I was listening to yesterday, they were talking about the push in London for the banks in the UK to hire more women into their upper levels of management because they have very, very, very few women. Now, this is just, this is 50% of the population. This is women. And I'm thinking, if they're so far behind that they're still, you know, worrying about getting more women in their upper ranks the the economic engines of these nations are not in sync with the people of of these nations they are not in sync with the population that they are financing and when you talk about when we all talk about the financialization of the economy and how banks are out of touch I think this is one of the ways that's really true that they have the mortgage crisis fed on populations of color. I mean, absolutely bathed in them. Yeah, redlining is a perfect example of that. And we see that in St. Louis, like in the history of St. Louis, a major, major issue that we see 
So, w- would you explain for our listeners what redlining is? Okay, um, so redlining is kind of like a process of in history basically when there were communities of color and it's it's similar to white flight um so when there were communities of color um, mortgages would drop money and funding for these areas would drop and people would move away and there would be kind of like a red line formed around these areas so it caused money to be funneled out of communities of color that we still see in effect these days so we see that a lot um with the del mar divide which i'm sure you've heard of Mm -hmm. and most like um anthropology studies, um, large areas of extreme poverty that are faced by, just right across the street, areas of complete affluence, you know, so these areas have been redlined and they are having trouble coming back financially and they have been for years and years and years based on money that was pulled out of the communities from banks that aren't giving mortgages and aren't giving loans to people of color. Um, It's modern Jim Crow. It is modern Jim Crow. That's exactly what it is. And so when normal sort of financial products, I guess we'd call them, are, are offered to everybody except for people in this one neighborhood, is, is all that is left like check cashing places and payday lenders and, and the predators to provide any kind of financial services to people in those communities? Is that what there is then? Um, we see that and we see food deserts, but I think one of the things that we are seeing within the community um, is a large force for people to push back and start developing community-owned businesses. There you um, go. So you're seeing you're seeing stores, you're seeing retail stores pop up, you're seeing grocery stores pop up. So that's a way that people are having to kind of combat that superior force. They're saying, hey, let's create our own businesses. Let's create our, our own forms of commerce to bring back into our community and support our communities. And I think we see that a lot in St. Louis, and that's also what we see when we're developing kind of like this pushback against gentrification is you have a lot of of people of color, queer people of color, trans people of color, and trans people in general who are taking back their own businesses in their communities, and that's creating a whole new hub of finance. Um, And I think we continue to see that more and more throughout the United States is kind of taking back from those larger corporations, which is why it's important to support your community organizations and your community businesses. Do you produce, does either one of your organizations produce essentially a directory of queer and trans businesses or, you know? Yeah, so we do have resources um, for queer and trans, business, trans businesses as well as um, health care oh, um, for, mm, for great. queer and trans communities. Um, we are, are very aware that there are situations and instances that you may go through where we have doctors that don't understand our specific needs as queer people, whether it be, it be therapy or um, like hormones that are necessary needed. So we do produce and I know maybe Capella you can speak more about like the resource list that we have yeah, but it's, so it's necessary. It's on our website stlmetrotrans.com and it, it's just under resources. It's a lot shorter than we would like it to be but that's just that just kind of shows you just how few really truly trans accepting businesses there are and we don't put a business on there unless more than one members of our board have used that business and like personally vetted it or regularly use it ourselves. One of the big ones that's really missing is, and it's not something you might think of right away, is gynecologists for transgender men. Because Mm. that's definitely a need. There are two doctors in St. Louis, two gynos, who will work with transgender men. In all of St. Louis? St. Louis. There are two that we know of for sure that are safe doctors we can send people to. And then you actually, after that, kind of like face the worry of insurance, and insurance will even cover things like that in your in your, in your your health care plan. So once you kind of like hop over that level, you have to face the problem of 
you know, maybe one of two people will choose to treat me or can treat me. And that's just really, that's really not fair. And can I just, I, I need to go off on this. The thing that, that really makes me angry about all of this in, involving uh, uh, health care with the trans community is we know that, that dysphoria is a big trigger for suicide. And that is the greatest life threat, healthcare-wise, to people who are trans. If you are not covering all of the various things that are that people choose to do when, when it comes to transition, if you are not offering health care that covers transition, you are not offering health care for the greatest threat to someone's life. And so where, that, where I see that is I talk to trans folk all around the country where things, various surgeries, top surgery and such, are considered cosmetic. When, when it comes to a person who is trans, uh, top surgery is not a cosmetic operation. It is a life-saving operation. It helps people get around dysphoria. And if you can't offer someone health care for something life-saving, if you're just going to call that cosmetic, then you're not providing any health care to people who are trans. Because the greatest threat to their life is not covered. And that enrages me on so many levels. And so my question is, how do we push back against that? How do we organize local communities to help people get health care that's actually health care in the trans community? You're, you're absolutely right. The rates are 41% of all transgender people will attempt suicide at least once in their lives. Of that 41%, 70% will attempt again. And I know this because I've attempted suicide twice in my life. So I, I live that statistic. I am that statistic. Luckily, I'm still here. But it's it's real, yo. It's very real. Something else that a lot of people don't always think about is called trans broken arm syndrome. Not sure if you're familiar with that. What it is is like I break my arm. I go into an ER. I go to the first ER that I come to without worrying about if it's trans friendly because I got a piece of arm bone sticking out of me. And the first thing, oh, you got a broken arm. It, is it possible your hormones might be affecting this? Is it possible the hormone therapy might be a contributing factor? Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. It's oh my, oh my god! Know so little about us. So many doctors understand so very little about being trans that it's like they don't understand how HRT, hormone replacement therapy, works. Therefore, it must be a possible trigger for any other possible ailment a trans person might be suffering. Oh my gosh! I had no idea. Yeah. Not. And to answer your question, the way we fix that is education, outreach, education, outreach, education. We have a whole program dedicated, we call it our Trans 102. It's a seminar geared toward the medical community, educating, educating doctors, nurses, hospital staff, you know, front desk receptionists. And anyway, as I was saying, educating doctors, hospital staff, you know, the, the frontline people, the people who are going to be the first ones in the waiting room that a trans person sees, even if it's just something as simple as understanding that, you know, maybe don't call out a trans person's legal name at the top of your lungs in a crowded waiting room. Yeah. It's like, you know, you have a transgender woman there, and the staff thought that, you know, Gregory Michael or something, and this poor trans woman has no choice but to, you know, meekly put up her hand and do that walk of shame in front of this hospital waiting room. It's really unfair, it can be really triggering, and it can even possibly be dangerous. Yeah. So the way to fix it is just simply education. We have very good relationships with a lot of the hospitals in the St. Louis area. We've done several trans 101s for Barnes Jewish Hospital. We've done some for the SSM healthcare system, and they're proud of this fact. They're proud that they are trans, inclusive rather, hospitals that they know that people can come to safely. 
that's impressive. It's, it is staggering to me that the medical community is that far behind on what is clearly a medical issue. And, I mean, I think we don't want to believe that politics gets into everything, but politics gets into everything. And when we allow it to cross lines, when we not only... I, I'm appalled that that's the case, but I never knew. So I was not in a position to say that it's not acceptable. But I do know somebody on the board of my local hospital. I'm going to have a conversation when I get home. Yeah, and that's what it takes. It takes initiating those conversations. Once you have the knowledge, we call it waking up a little bit, is to take it and pass it on. You know, not, not, not stay there and not be that neutral person and that's when we get into holding each other accountable for our actions and stepping up and saying things because sometimes it only does take one voice and one little rip one little ripple to get that effect going so one of the things that we wanted to do here that we said in our last show is we were going to come here to listen and we, we've asked a, a lot of questions ourselves of things that, that we're concerned about that we know about but we also know that just a natural state of, of humanity is that we are ignorant of a great many things. So what are the things that we need to talk about that we haven't asked about? Um, I think we need to talk about how most major centers actually have LGBT centers. Um, in Orlando, one of the main reasons why there was such a quick response um, after the mass shooting was because there was an LGBT center um, where there was a hub. In St. Louis, we don't have one of those. Mm. Um, originally, there was one. Some things happened in the past. It's no longer in existence. It's no longer brick and mortar. Um, but right now, what um, the Metro Trans Umbrella Group, MTUG, um, and QTPOC STL are partnering to do um, is to create an umbrella center um, for LGBTQ um, people, people of youth, people of color, so they have somewhere to go and they have resources. They have these trans one-on-one classes and these racial bias training classes, and they have a place to go and find and maybe find the binders that they need to help go on um, kind of like living their authentic lives, a brick-and-mortar center um, that so many other cities have that we don't have right now. Um, So that's been one of our main focuses here is raising money to create that location where people can go um, as a safe haven. Um, We have uh, homeless shelters, but so many of the homeless shelters here will not accept um, trans women, will not accept trans men, or will separate you based on kind of like your assigned um, gender at birth, which is really hard when you have to deal with something like that. So that's, I think, one of our main focuses here on in St. Louis right yeah, now. So that's number one priority is getting that center built. And we're calling it the Umbrella Center instead of an LGBT center. We're doing that very consciously because it's like just the focus that we are an umbrella mm-hmm. that covers mm-hmm. this whole wide spectrum. When you just say LGBT center, mm-hmm. like you said before, the eternal whitewashing of the movement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of people hear LGBT center and think, oh, it's a place for cis white baby. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're going to be. It's going to be for trans people, trans people of color, queer people of color, young people, old people. We're going to be inclusive of everyone. And it's we haven't had that brick and mortar LGBT center here for two years. It closed in 2014. Even our organizations, which are arguably the biggest trans-focused organizations in Missouri, we have to rent space from a church to hold our meetings because there is no physical LGBTQ center. You actually have to rent the space? Yes. Okay. Um, That's the phone call I'm going to make. Yeah. So... The ridiculous bathroom laws that we can all be just immediately agree that 
that's insanity. And can I just cut in and say, those ridiculous bathroom laws not having anything to do with, with trans activism. That was a bunch of, of white, straight, cis Christians who decided to find something to freak out about. Old I white wanna, men. I want to reiterate, this This is not about uh, trans people having an issue. This is about straight cis people suddenly freaking out about something, yeah. coming out of the blue. And all of my friends who are in North Carolina are now terrified to use the restroom anywhere but their homes. So, okay, I've, I've gone off enough. Please continue. So. Does that, because that brought a national spotlight to trans issues, is it helping or hurting? <laughs> I mean, it's a mixed bag. It's a, everybody should be free to pee, is what I. I that's, yes, that's well, kind of what I say. Everybody should. Be I think free we're all pee. agreed there. Yeah, in the bathroom <laughs> where they where they feel accepted and where they feel comfortable. Um, so I think this is is something that we have to shine the spotlight on because it, somewhere else we maybe would not have known that this was happening, and people would have to face this discrimination if some light wasn't brought to the topic. Um, it also kind of leads back to the idea of people are afraid of like what they don't know. So it's important to have this education to talk yeah. about trans identities and trans bodies and what is happening so people can get away from that fear or basically assumptions that they have or, I'm sorry, complete and utter bullcrap that they're just making up in their mind to, <laughs> to stop these things from happening. So I think that light is definitely necessary to have movement, to make movement, to have these laws be fair for people who need to just be free to pee. The expression I'm fond of is that a bright spotlight shines on both the very good and the very, very, very bad. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of seeing more of the bad right now as, as, you know, the rats under the bright light kind of scurry to try to get out of the way. That's, <laughs> that's basically what we're seeing. That's, that's, that's what I call it. That's what I call all these horrible bills that are coming up there. Rats scurrying away from the spotlight. And it's we all we can do is keep plugging ahead, keep plugging forward, and just keep fighting these bills wherever they come about. There have been a lot of them in Missouri, probably more in Missouri than in any other state, mm -hmm. because Missouri was kind of the starting point for it. With I don't know if you remember the Lila Perry bathroom mm -hmm. thing last year. Mm -hmm. That was 45 minutes south of here. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't realize it was yeah. that close. Yeah, it was I very close. This fight with the Fox News cameraman at the rallies there. Mm -hmm. That's how close it was. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah when you, and, you, and you think about how these how these things uh, affect our youth in schools, I think is another thing. Yeah. They're the next the next generation of revolutionaries that we have, and they're told that they can't be their authentic selves. And I think that's when we see problems develop into adulthood. When we see some of the depression and the mental um, disorders that we have, so we have to let these kids know at a young age in their school systems. Um, and in the places where they're learning, even in their home, that it's okay to live their authentic lives and be their authentic selves. And I think that's kind of why so so much support. Like, we had trucks of people going, was it, it's Hillsborough. 200 people. 200 showed people, up this, people showed up in support. In yeah. Tiny little, pardon my language, redneck town. <laughs> yeah, I live in one of those. Um, so, so very redneck. Uh, so, I, again, as I said earlier, I live in Indiana, the home of Refra. Mm. Uh, and we, of course, just lost our governor today because he's running for vice president with Trump. And the good news is that we just lost our really, really hideous governor today. Sometimes it's okay to lose things. Yes, it <laughs> is. And not find them ever again. Ever, ever again. <laughs> and the, the thing that was amazing to me about um, Refra and about Mike Pence as our governor was that business united all over the state against him. 
and business has poured money into the opposition, into the Democratic candidates' campaign in opposition to Pence because of REFRA. I would never have, prior to that period of time, projected that an LGBTQ issue would be the big move, you know, movement issue in Indiana. But if you can move Indiana with an LGBT issue, mm-hmm. man, you can move it any state in this nation, mm-hmm. except maybe Kansas, with an LGBTQ issue. Yeah. Uh, Kansas is a little tough, but... I was just talking about this with another member of my organization yesterday, how Mike Pence is actually the best possible thing we could have hoped for in a vice presidential pick for Trump. (laughs) And that's because we saw with everything that went down in Indiana that unlike a lot of them, Mike Pence is prone to economic pressure. That is something he is vulnerable to. That is something we can move him with. And if we can move the vice presidential candidate of the entire Republican Party with economic pressure, then we might be able to get more movement than we ever thought we would out of this election. Mm -hmm. We can help. I just need to say one thing, and I know my listeners have heard me say this probably three times in three different shows, but I just feel like it needs to be said. The bathroom bills we discussed, the one thing we didn't say is there has never been a case of a trans person attacking somebody else in the bathroom, but there are thousands of cases of trans people themselves being attacked. And when you look at Mike Pence, who is a crystallization of everything that is wrong in the Republican Party, just a crystallization of the problems with the conservative movement in, in one in big. When you look at these bills, when you look at, at, at uh, well, the new misogyny, with, with Elliot Roger in California, where, where where people online are radicalizing about this this weird idea that somehow feminism is about hating men mm. rather than trying to build equality for everyone. When we see just this nonsense, um, it, it's 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 important to go in and knock all of that down. So, uh, a long way of asking a question, but is there any nonsense that you can help? us knock down anything that people believe that is that is ridiculous things that we can we can learn how to message on to combat sort of the stuff that's coming out the, the propaganda that's coming out of the right about trans issues and, it's, and and also about about the issues affecting specifically people of color who are lgbt well you sort of hit the main one with the statistic about how no trans person has ever committed a sexual assault in a bathroom that's absolutely true. I can throw you one better and say that more sitting members of the United States Congress have been found guilty of sexual misconduct in public restrooms than transgender people. Like more sitting members of Congress, hopefully, have misbehaved in bathrooms, and there is no record of a trans person ever having done so. So, can we ban them from restrooms? Clearly, they're, they're massively more dangerous than I, trans people. I, I would love to. I would love to, if, I, if it were up to me, if I was queen of the world for a day, I'd give each one of them a little chamber pot to keep under their chair in the Senate chamber so that they could just use it whenever they need to. That's a good thing I'm not queen of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, you had spoken before this interview started about something called your cave priority. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. It's community, advocacy, visibility, and education. We build our community, like I said, by hosting social events, by doing our clothing drives. We have an art show once a year where we showcase LGBTQ artists. 
and we just plain provide space for trans people to go, to be themselves. It's one of the most important things there is. Before the internet came about, we all lived in vacuums. We didn't know anybody else who was trans. We all just kind of suffered in silence. Now, thanks to the organizing power of the internet, groups like us can come about, we can come together as people in real-world spaces and get to know one another and be better people because of that. And, and I think it also promotes visibility. Um, it gives everybody a chance, like you are able to see, like tr trans people are just regular people, um, a look into lives and a look into things um, that we do. Um, and also helping to see that, you know, whether you are a person of color or whether you are a trans-identified person, that your individual story is not a monolith for every single person who one may assume to be like you. So getting out there and letting people see that you are different and that there are different stories and that there are different narratives and there are different ways to live life, even though there's one thing, you know, that we may share in common is very important. So that visibility is key, like saying that we are here, we are, <laughs> our umbrella term is very queer, um, and you have to get to know us. You have to get to know us and see how we work because we're a part of this community as well. Have we missed anything critical that we should be talking about here? Oh my gosh, there are always so many critical things to talk about. <laughs> There's, I mean, one little thing, we, we always like to plug our Trans Memorial Garden. Mm -hmm. Right here in St. Louis, as far as we know, as far as we've been able to tell through a lot of research, it is the only transgender memorial garden in the United, in the United States. States of America. It's 15 minutes away at the corner of Vandevender and Hunt in St. Louis, Missouri. We dedicated it last year. It's an absolutely beautiful space. It was a wonderful community effort. We built it together. We built it, we together. Built it together. Nice. Very nice. So it was an old vacant lot in St. Louis, and about under nine inches of topsoil, there was an old concrete foundation because everything in St. Louis is over 200 years old. So what we did was we took pickaxes, broke up all that rock, planted the trees, and used all the leftover rock to line the paths and make a little stone sculpture in the middle. It's a zero-waste park. Everything that we dug out of there went back into the park, and I think that's just oh, that's really cool. The durability of the survivability of the trans struggle, like you're never, we're just, we're never going to be stopped. On the sign of the garden, there's the quote, they thought they could bury us, they didn't know we were seeking. That's exactly what we are. We continue to grow and we use it as a community space for gatherings and getting together and it's a it's a it's 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 power in that. It's most definitely power in that. And we look forward to having it grow through the seasons, just like we grow through the seasons. Yeah. I was going to ask again the the, the, the if there's anything we missed. Um, there's so much that involves the intersections between people of color and people who are LGBT. There's there's a lot of intersectionality there. Um, how do those of us who are in the LGBT community who are white work to undermine uh, the, the, the way that our communities are, are separated? Uh, because, you know, and, and the basic answer is, well, just get out of the way. That's, that's, the, that's the main thing. But I mean, sometimes you do have to move, but other times you do have to speak up. It's about educating yourselves. Um, you could easily go see Google. You could, you could say Google it. But go out into the community. Go out and learn about things that are helping. Um, take take part in community activities. There are food drives. There are um, the clothing swaps that are happening with MTUG. Take the time to learn. I would like to say we are all adults, but I'm sure there are probably some adults that are not listening here. And for the youth, you know, that's the largest movement that we're going to have right now to bring about that awareness. But it's important just to get out 
um, and learn about your community um, and speak up when you see things that are happening, when you speak up when you see injustices. Um, a lot of it is breaking down stereotypes and barriers and biases that we may have. Um, a lot of it is opening up to our, our fragility, or I won't say our fragility, maybe white fragility would be the, the, the thing to talk about. Um, but, you know... Fear, fear is the word you're fear, looking for. Fear is the word that I'm looking for. <laughs> um, so kind of like getting getting out there and, and breaking down those barriers. You know, if you see something on, on television, don't say, oh, that's sad. Say, what can I do to combat this? What can I do to get up and, and make a difference and show that I have a voice so that other people who may be like me can hear this? So it's all about community work, putting in the work, putting in the effort, and holding yourself accountable. For, for what needs to be done. That kind of answer your question in a way? Did you that want me does. to be more that's, specific? That's incredible. Okay. Going out, not, not just sitting around and being open, but actually doing the work to yes. go out and, and find where the barriers are so that we can break them down together. Most definitely. Uh, being proactive rather than, you know, slacktivism. That's yes. the problem. Sitting I like back that, and, slacktivism. Oh, I, I'm totally open to this, but I'm not going to do anything about it. This right. is a problem, but somebody else is going to fight it, mm-hmm. not me. Yeah, and, and, and so many of the things that we see um, in 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 communities of color um, such as I don't know you know poor housing poor health is intersectional because it goes into the LGBTQ community as well um, like it's 55% of, of, of people of color are a part of the LGBTQ communities as well so we have to combat these issues in our community and that's a way to help the LGBTQ community grow as well so one of the things you know, when Black Lives Matter hit the news and I was desperately trying to, you know, learn because I just, I felt like I knew nothing. I felt like, like I was just completely, a, you know, a babe in the woods. So I went out and read. I read, you know, the history of America. I read Ta-Nehisi Coates' mm-hmm. books. I read everything I could, you know, find and, you know, read. What should I be reading? Um, you can be reading, but you can also be talking to people. I think you can pick up a book and read everything you need to know, but until you can learn about someone's life experience and their lived experiences from them, um, that's, I think, when you really get a handle and a hold of everything that's going on because there are people right next to you who can talk to you about their lives. They can talk to you about your experiences. I can talk to you and say that even as a cis straight representing black woman that I have been pulled over and had a gun pointed at my face during a routine traffic stop. These are all things that I can tell you, you know, so just take the time, sit down, talk to someone because because books are great and they're great, especially when, you know, black folks and people of color get tired of explaining their struggle to you. But exactly. outside of that, like reach out and say, you know, what what's going on with you? What can I do to help? What can I do to understand? Tell me about your lived experience because I want to know because your life matters to me. I want to thank you both so much for being here. Lady Ashley Gregory and Capella Marissa Hunnevalt. <laughs> you got it, yes. That's right. You've really just graced us with your presence here today, and we've been so happy to have you on. And we will make sure to put links to your organization on our site. When we post this, we'll let you know. And when we post the interview, we'll let you know. And we'll include the, all the information about your site, some notes about the interview, and all the you know, sort of background links and all of that. 
So, folks, please go to imahoppingmad.com to get the links to these fabulous organizations and uh, follow the links and contribute, particularly in an effort to get an umbrella center built here in St. Louis, which would be a real blessing to this area. Thank you so much for joining us here on Hopping Mad, Netroots Radio. We really love being here at Netroots. It's a real opportunity, and we will be back later in the day with more.